So I came across something a couple of months ago that I have found to be very helpful, and I'm hoping that it will be helpful for you as well. It's been sort of a, a new lens for me to kind of view my life and the world through, and I know that it's often helpful for so much, many of us, when you kind of see a new thing and then all of a sudden it kind of helps you see things in a different way, and maybe it helps you take some steps that you've wanted to take. Um, we were driving home uh, a few months ago and, and Rachel had been wanting me to hear my Enneagram number. Now, uh, preface, we've been talking about the Enneagram maybe too much here at church. I don't want to confuse that with the Bible. They're very different, but the Enneagram has been very helpful in understanding how I'm wired. And um, there was a book that she was reading that said, once you learn your number, it is not your job to let other people know there's number. So I found out my number from my wife. Um, that was the joke. And I'll, I'll try harder at the 11. Um, so we were driving home, and the book's called The Road Back to You, and I guess we were on the road back from Orlando or somewhere back home, and we were driving, saying, hey, why don't you listen to this? It's just on the audiobook, and you can find out about yourself. And I was like, oh, and I just, everybody has been into it. I've heard so much about the Enneagram. I'm like, I don't know that I want to hear I don't even know if I want to look at it. She's like, just, if you'll just listen to this part, listen to my number, listen to your number, and see if it's interesting. And it was. And what was very interesting about it was not only did it kind of reveal how you're wired, he talked about it in this way that was so helpful for me. He talked about kind of your version as a healthy version of your number and an unhealthy version. An unhealthy and a healthy version of yourself. And some of the signs when you're kind of living out of the unhealthy side of how you're wired versus how you're set up in the healthy side. And so I'm a one. And a one is kind of an organizer, likes perfection, likes things in order. And, and what was so helpful about it is he talked about on the healthy side, he said, healthy ones, listen to this, I love this description. He said, healthy ones are committed to a life of service and integrity. Check, that's so great. They are balanced and responsible and able to forgive themselves and others for being imperfect. Yes, uh, they are principled, but patient with the processes that slowly but surely make the world a better place. Healthy ones, great. But then the unhealthy ones fixate on small imperfections. Uh, these ones are obsessed with micromanaging what they can, asserting control over something or someone is their only relief. I'm so sorry for the people around me. Um, but this idea of a healthy versus an unhealthy version has been very helpful, this sort of lens to view things through. And then it kept coming up. You know when you buy a new car and then you realize everybody else has your exact same car? Try that when you buy a Toyota Camry, the number one car in the world. Um, so I keep noticing, I'm having a coffee with a guy and he's talking about how um, he's really into the temperaments and how that has helped him kind of manage his team. And he was talking about how you're wired and the healthy version and the unhealthy. I'm like, okay, it came up again. And then our staff started doing a study on, 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 on temperaments and also words, the words that we need to feel full and the words that we use for those around us. And a lot of the study has been talking about when we're in a healthy version, how we use our words versus being in an unhealthy place and how we use our words to control and manipulate those around us. So, and so this lens of healthy versus unhealthy has been so helpful for me. It, it has provided a moving gauge for where I am and, and how I'm responding to the stimuli in the world around us. I mean, we're constantly under stress. We're constantly under the things that are coming at us from the world, from our families, from our work, and from all of these different places. And it has helped me measure where I am in the midst of all those. And I think what's been so helpful about this healthy kind of unhealthy lens is it's not such a final judgment. It's not a black and white. It's not just here I am perfectly or imperfectly. It's I'm somewhere on a spectrum because our lives are fluid and they change moment to moment in our place and where we are. And I have been able to be able to realize that it is a moving target throughout life. And if I'm paying attention, I can get closer to staying on the healthy side versus ending up in good or bad or success or failure or happy or sad, which is for me is often what I do. You get somewhere and you're just like, well, everything's terrible. 
everything, I, nothing works, everything's falling apart, and it's like one little thing went wrong, right? But it pushes you so far over, and so this has kind of helped in that place of looking for more. Um, for me, I remember a few years ago, we were setting up at the high school. We were, for the first few years here at Summit, we were at Lake Mary High School. We had set up and tear down. And one of the guys that was so faithful in setting up was one of the most chill dudes I've ever met. He was just Mr. Calm, Mr. Patient, and he was just a great dad. And one day he told me he had taken a class on calm parenting, on how to not get angry when you're parenting. And a couple of thoughts went through my head. I'm like, one, how could you possibly need that class? You are just the most steady person. And then the prideful part, probably the unhealthy version of myself said, well, I'm glad I don't need that class because I'm a pretty good dad. Um, my kids were two. They had not yet learned how to push all of my buttons. About two years ago, I called that same guy and said, hey, remember that class you took about how to be a calm dad and not be angry all the time? Uh, anger is the place where I go, especially in my unhealth with my kids the other day. Like all I want is just a little bit of quiet, right? I'll eat dinner. And then if I could just have like 10 minutes, just like just 10 minutes of peace while we're kind of getting ready for bed, kind of set the mood right. So it was going really well. They're kind of getting ready back in the back room. They're getting dressed. I'm just having a moment to kind of clean up the kitchen. And, uh, and all of a sudden, just the, the noise starts bubbling up and you know, like Maverick's biting somebody or, you know, something's happening back there. And these, my kids are great, but they're kids, right? And they just, whatever sets them off. So then I'm, like, I'm being pretty patient with them. I'm like, I think I'm in a pretty good place. I've been thinking about this. I think I'm kind of in a healthy spot. Then all of a sudden I hear that uh, Andy, my middle daughter says, you just ripped Mrs. Andrews' book. You, I brought this book home from school. And all of a sudden Red just shows up. Everybody's sent to the room. AJ, who's been helping with the kitchen, has been so, she's in a room by herself. She's crying. because like, what did I do wrong? Like, I don't know. Go to a room and they're separated. There's an interrogation. There's bright lights and everything's going on. And I mean, it's like, I mean, it looks like, yeah, law and order is happening in our house. And, and it, just, it just comes so quickly, right? And for me, they, they know how to push all those buttons. And I know when I'm in a healthier place, I'm able to have more patient and I can listen to it and I can, I can dial it back. We can disarm the situation. And when I'm in a less healthy place, when I'm not getting the things I need or I'm not feeling full the way I need to feel, it snaps like that. And so I can recognize this even through this lens a little bit better of where I am, even moment to moment, day to day of doing that. And even being in a healthy place helps recognize it more and more. I think for most of us, we have gauges in our life of measuring this, ways to monitor how our life is going. And you've put those in place in different places. Maybe for you, that's what you're eating. You know that if you're, you're cooking your food at home and you're doing a good job with that, that you know you're in a healthy place. Or if you're eating out a lot, that's kind of one of your things. And maybe it's your weight. Maybe you have a number that you look at that kind of helps you know where you're there. Maybe it's your blood work and you know your numbers that are there. For some of you, it's a mental health thing. You know if you're feeling joy, if you're feeling some of the other places, the restlessness you know that are triggers for you to be able to pay attention to there. Uh, for some of you, they're financial gauges. You've set uh, places where you know if you're saving, if you're spending, and these different things. But I think for most of these gauges, we have kind of a clear-cut final assessment when we're there. We are either good or we're bad. We're healthy, unhealthy. We don't have a way to sort of monitor along the way. And so for, again, this is where this healthy, unhealthy lens has helped where am I at in all these different moments. It helps put the appropriate amount of responsibility on me so that I can own some of it. It's not just their fault, mostly my kid's fault, but some of my fault, right? But I'm able to recognize, no, this is, this, is, this is me. I'm not doing the things I need to do to be in the right spot. To help me catch myself before it's too late, before I'm so far over and I can't even remember. You know those moments where everything is so bad and you're just like, I can't even remember what good was like you're just in that cloud and it helps kind of catch that there and it recognizes again that life is fluid 
I mean, if any of you have ever done a timeline of your life or even looked at a short part, you know life is up and down. We move through these different seasons. We don't usually just exist in one state, but we're between all of these different emotions, all of these different areas of health back and forth. So what if I were to propose, what if there was a way for us to view our spiritual life through that same lens? through the same lens of healthy versus unhealthy. And in fact, not just a lens, but an objective way of looking at our spiritual life about healthy or an unhealthy place that provides room for us to move back in the health. And what if there were also some clear ways to get there? Um, we're so consumed with health in our culture, right? We spend billions of dollars on our physical health, on all of these different areas of health. We've gotten better about talking about our mental health and putting and investing in that. We spend a ton of time thinking about our financial health. We, we tax season, we're looking at all of these different things. But what if we put our spiritual health on that same list that this is, is, is important, if not more important than these other areas? What if there was a way to look at that? And not only is there a way, but there was a method of sort of looking at it and being able to pay attention in a hope of how to get there. Paul um, has written this letter to the, the, the Galatian church. We've been sitting in it for a few months now, and, or, and, and he has written this letter to this young church. They're young. They've been around 10, 15 years. It's the beginning of the new church, and Paul is writing to them, and he's teaching them what does it mean to be the church? What are you looking for? What should this look like? And the big thing that he's hammered home for these last few chapters is he wants to make sure that the early church understands the gospel clearly that they understand very clearly that the gospel is Jesus, that Jesus came, that he died, that he took their sins, that he came back to life, that he has offered them new life, that it is him alone that offers this hope. But he starts seeing these other little markers kind of come back into their life because they've lived a life where they've had all these rules, they've had all these things kind of on top of it. And he wants to make sure, no, no, you need to understand it is Jesus and Jesus alone that can do that. But he recognized that it can feel really free. They've had these constraints before. They've had these laws. They've had these methods for being able to come back in and out of their life, be able to make things right. They're used to laws and markers and actions and proof that they were following the rules. And because these rules were there for so long and it was such an ingrained part of their life. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, no, no, it's just me. It's through my grace. It's me alone. And just through me, you can experience this life. And Paul starts to see how quickly they want to go back to the old ways, how quickly they want to be Jesus plus. We've talked about this idea of Jesus plus, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus actions, Jesus plus some other marker that needs to happen on top of him. And he sees it happening. And we looked a couple of weeks ago at how quick he was to call it on and say, no, 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 it needs to be Jesus alone. Because for us, 2000 years later, we need to have that same hope today. He knows this truth needs to carry along that it has to be this new way of living. It needs to be Jesus alone that can provide this new way of hope, this life, this rich, unblemished life. But in his mercy, Paul also knows that we're people. And I think he sees this people, it's a group of people, the church has always been people. And here they are, this young church, and he sees that they need a way to know that it's real. Because before they knew it was real, that if we, if we did the sacrifice, if we did these things, if we went to temple certain number of times, it's real, it's rooted, it's lasting, it's going to work. And he's seeing that they need a way to know that this is real. So he gives them a lens and a tool to view this new life through to show that this is real and alive. So we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. It's in your bulletins if you want to follow along or in your Bibles or if you just want to listen in. We're going to be looking at this first part that we're looking at today. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you 
are not to do whatever you want, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul starts and said, here are the signs of unhealthy living. Here is your lens of unhealthy living. Again, verses 19, it starts. It said, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And some of these are very obvious signs of health, signs that most of us would say, oh yeah, I'm not in a great place right now. Uh, I'm not super healthy spiritually. No matter how you measure spiritually, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you would say this list and go like, yeah, these are probably not signs that my spirit is well. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, witchcraft, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I mean, he's got a pretty solid list to go in there. And most of these look and go, yep, yep, pretty clear. Uh, I understand that part. But I would also say this, if that's you today, if you're here and you're joining us and you're like, well, I'm, a I'm actually in the midst of that list. I just want to say, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, this is a great place for you to be. God welcomes you and he wants you to hear this. And, and I hope that maybe today you would have a chance to hear that there is actually more to life out there, that there is actually a place that produces good fruit in your life, that there is a healthy way of living uh, and that there is hope for more out there. But I'm so glad that you're listening in and I would just encourage you to keep up with us today while you're here. Um, one of the things that I think surprises people is that God doesn't just love us, but that he likes us, uh, that we are, he's actually fond of us. It's been one of those ideas that has been rattling around the last couple of years. And I hope that you hear that today as well. But in this list, though Paul says it's obvious, he says, here's this obvious list of things that are going wrong. I think there's a pretty good list in there that don't seem so obvious all the time, uh, that tend to creep back in, that tend to be some of those signs of unhealth, some of those signs that maybe we're moving a little bit towards this side of unhealthy living, that maybe my spirit is not well, that there's something that's not wired up right, that things are not going as ways that I'd hoped. The list on there, idolatry. Now, most of us aren't going home and carving images that we're bowing down and worshiping to, but my guess is that there are a lot of us that find our security from a lot of things other than God that they are finding our security in our, our 401k and our finances and our car, our house, our spouse, our, our kids, our job. Those are the places that we find our fulfillment more than even from God. We say, if these things are going well, uh, then everything is going well. That is my sign of health. But that in essence is idolatry. Putting anything above God is idolatry. And I think especially for us where we are in a comfortable way of living for the most part, it is easy for those things to seep in. Again, if you find those things being the prime motivators, the things that make you feel the best, that are filling all of your needs, that's a pretty good sign that you're on a side of unhealth. 
but about hatred, discord, dissensions, and factions. He said these are obvious, but I would say at this point, it's pretty in vogue in our season of life, in our country and in our world, to be hatred, to be divided, to kind of cut ourselves off, to be in a place where we say, well, I'm right, you're wrong, to not be able to talk to one another. Doesn't that feel like what you wake up to every day when you turn on Facebook or the news? I mean, that's sort of the thing we've said actually might be one of the highest callings in our country if we were to look at what put value on and how we watch things. But maybe uh, what's sad in the midst of it is that the church gets paid with that even the most that we are seen as some of the most cut off, some of the most divisive, some of the most discordant in the midst of all of that. And yet early on, Paul says to these followers, says, hey, this is one of the signs that you're moving towards unhealth because these ideas of being cut off, dissensions, factions, hatred, these all stem from selfishness, from inward looking, from wanting what I think I deserve or what's mine. And again, they can start so benign, right? They can start in such a healthy way. Maybe I'm just trying to protect myself. Maybe I'm trying to protect what's mine, then all of a sudden you start realizing I'm cut off from everybody and, and I am in my own world. And not only am I cut off, but like they are awful and God doesn't care about them anymore. It is just me and you find ourselves so quickly moving towards that. But I would think when we find ourselves being cut off from others or intentionally separating others, it, it's a sign that we're not healthy spiritually, that we're not understanding our place in God's kingdom. What about jealousy and envy? The list is getting a little bit closer to home now, right? Uh, wanting what others have or feeling slighted that you don't have what you think you deserve. Again, these can start so benign and, and maybe even sometimes encouraged between advertising, between the lust of the next big shiny thing of wanting the next thing. I deserve it. I need it. It will make my life better if I just had that thing. But again, if we are wanting what only others have, it is a sign that we're not in a healthy place. On a healthy side, we're content. We are at peace, but on this unhealthy side, to want what others are having. That is, I think, one of those clearer signs that maybe we're not in a healthy place. We're not rooted in the right place. Our spirit is longing for something that none of these things can provide. What about anger? Well, I shared that story, didn't I? Um, getting a little bit more personal. Um, anger is often a sign that we aren't healthy, right? It's a sign that we're not getting what we want, what we need, what we deserve, what we're filled up by. Anger is one of those signs that we're not able to keep ourselves under control. Our needs aren't being met. Again, it can be a sign that we're in a place of unhealth. What about selfish ambition? I mean, the list gets very personal. It's about me. I need what's mine. So all of these signs are sort of this idea of like, there's something on the spiritual side. If we're to, again, have an indicator, financial health, emotional health, mental health, spiritual health, these would be the indicators that we're not spiritually healthy. And I think for the most part, we would agree that these are signs of lack of health in our spirit. And again, most of this list is inward focused. I want what's mine. I deserve it. I need it. I, I, I'm supposed to have it. You shouldn't. It's mine, right? It's like looking at little kids. We want to grasp so tightly. And our lives cry out for it, especially when we're not healthy. We need to be filled somewhere else and it comes out in not great ways. And those ways that it comes out oftentimes come out sideways and ends up hurting those around us. The ones that we're trying to care for, it oftentimes comes out and hurts them. Again, signs of unhealth, signs that we're not in a place where we're being fulfilled, that our life isn't rooted in the right place. And then Paul says, here's the healthy vital signs. Here are the signs that things are going well in your spirit. Listen to this, verse 22 and 23. It's amazing. Even when I read them, I find myself going so quickly through the bad ones because I want to get to the good ones. I don't like to get to the good ones. I just want to pause and sit in them because the signs are so good. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
forbearance, sometimes translated as patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all the signs of a healthy spiritual life, that we are in the right place, we are rooted in the right place, the right things are coming out of our life. And again, these are the good fruit that is produced out of a good and healthy spiritual life. All of those things are good for those around us, right? Love, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. All of those are others-focused. All of those affect those that are around us. And we want what's best in our own life, but we also want what's right for those around us. And when we look at that list, I don't think any of us would disagree, no matter where you fall, whether you follow Jesus or whether you're still checking things out, that you would say that those are not good indicators of spiritual health, that those are a healthy life. Those fruit being produced are good fruit in your life. Those are the people you want to be around, right? You want to be around people that are of peace, the people that are loving, people that are gentle, people that have good self-control. Those are the ones we find ourselves attracted to that we want to be like. Those are the things we want in our life and we want around us. And then there's a third vital sign that I think Paul alludes to that he doesn't talk about specifically, but it's one that I, I see a lot. I see it especially um, in, in church. I see it a lot in people that are, are Christians. I see it a lot in just the world in general. And that's this idea of being in neutral. Right? Maybe you're not all the way over here and experiencing these terrible signs of unhealth in your life. Maybe things are going okay, but they're not producing good things either. There's not a lot of joy in your life. There's not these ideas of kindness and self-control and gentleness. There's not these things that are helping other people. You're just sort of stuck in the middle. For some, that might be a passive Christianity. It's a passive way of life. You're just sort of making it along. It's the, I'm not living a life full of debauchery and anger, but there's also not much of these other good things coming out of it. I, I'm basically a good person, and I'm going through the motions, I'm showing up, I, I'm not doing any bad things, and I'm just trying to kind of get things going, and, and nothing much is changing in my life. It's just sort of staying the same. I'm just sort of stuck in this place day after day. It's maybe that place where you know the words, uh, and you know the acts, maybe even coming to church is part of that. You know the steps you're supposed to take, but your heart isn't changing. When you ask the question, do I, do I really care about the poor? Uh, am I really caring about people that need around me? Am I wanting to help those around me or am I just sort of watching out for what's mine? Am I engaging with life? I mean, that's one of those big ones, right? I'm just sort of walking along. I'm not really engaging because that might be a little bit scary. I might fail and I might succeed, but if I just stay in neutral, nothing can happen again. That's not the hope of a healthy spiritual life. The hope isn't to be stuck in the middle with nothing changing. That's not good news, is it? That's like, eh, okay news. And I think too many people get stuck in neutral because it feels safe. It feels like, well, if I don't risk too much, then nothing too bad can happen. But there's also a pretty clear warning later on in Scripture in Revelations. In Revelations 3.16, it says, So because you're lukewarm, you're neither hot or cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Have you ever gone to take a glass of water and you are excited about it, but maybe it's been sitting in your car a little bit and it's lukewarm and you know that feeling when you put it in. It's just you just want to spit it out. It's just awful. And that's that idea, neutral passive. That's not good news for anyone. That's not what's there. So, so here's the thing. We're concerned with health. We're concerned with our spiritual, emotional, our financial health. And when we look at the symptoms, I think we can all agree, no matter what you believe, 
that we want to have good spiritual health. We want these things that come out of our life. We want love. We want peace. We want to be content. We want to have care for those around us. We want to serve. We want to do all of these good things that happen out of a healthy spiritual life. And no one wants to be identified as discord of drunkenness of debauchery. That's not an identity anybody wants to have. That's not something that produces good life. Jealousy and envy to be identified, to be labeled, to have that being your core kind of motivator. But Paul, as he's talking to this young church, wants them to make it sure not only are these vital signs there, but there is absolutely only one way to have a healthy spiritual life. And it's through Jesus alone. This is the life that Jesus offers, because here's the thing. Our natural way of living is getting what's mine. It's making my own idols. It's following my own thing. It's figuring out whatever is right for me. It's, it's going after and preserving all the things that I need to make me feel filled up. It's having all of the things. That is how our life is. We watch out for ourselves. That's natural life. This life that produces good fruit is not natural. That is not the natural order of things. It is a, a supernatural way of life. There is a non-natural thing that has to happen. And he is saying the only way, the only way to be able to move from this place and to produce this life that you want, that you all really, really want, is through Jesus alone. The gospel of new life through Jesus alone. And again, it's why he spent the first four chapters saying it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. You want this good life it is through Jesus alone that you can do it. So how? So we have this gauge. We have a way to kind of be able to see where we're at in the moments of our life, how we're responding to the world around us. We can see where we are, but how do we move towards health? How do we move towards this promise of full life and a healthy life that produces this good fruit for people around it? And so Paul outlines the how through this first part. He says this, that we need to walk by the Spirit, that we need to be led by the Spirit, that we need to keep in step with the Spirit, and that we need to live by the Spirit. Again, walk by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus has come. Jesus has provided this new life, and He has left the Holy Spirit behind His Spirit, His life, the life force that He says, I will give to everyone who follows me to be able to produce new life, and it is alive and well in the world. And He says, you need to live within these things. Again, when you look at it, walk, lead, keep in step, live by. These are verbs. These are actions. These are choices that Paul says that need to happen in the spirit. And I think most of us, we want the action, right? We want to go out and do it. You hear a list. Let's go do it. Let's go tackle it. I can make things happen. Or at least give me the list so that when I'm ready, I can go do the things I need to do. Just tell me to do it. I'll white knuckle my way through it if I have to. I will make it happen. Just let me do it. And I find myself saying that so often. Just let me do it. But Paul, Paul paints a really clear picture of what happens if we try to do it on our own. If we just white knuckle our way through it, if we just try to let myself do it, if we do it with our own will and through our own life. In Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, earlier on, Paul writes a letter and he describes, and I think in one of the most beautiful articulations of what it's like to try to live this life through our own way, to try to live this supernatural, this new life with an old way of living. Here's what he says. Paul says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good thing I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is the thing I keep on doing. And every time I read that, I find that as being one of the most refreshingly honest pieces of Scripture. Because here's Paul. He's like the hero of the Bible. He writes most of the New Testament. And he says, this is what happens. I want to do these good things, but I can't do it. And he says, you can't do it on your own. 
This is not something you can do through your own ways. Paul shares that to live this new life has to be through a new way of life, through a spirit-filled life. It's not a Jesus plus life. It's not Jesus plus I will do it all on my own. It's Jesus and through his spirit. Our good friend, Pastor Jeff Kern, says it this way. He says that we can't live this new spirit way of life through willpower, that we need an empowered will. It's not through willpower, it's through an empowered will. So how do we walk through this life from that empowered will? And there's three things I think we can take away. First is this, we have to be led. He says we have to be led by the Spirit, which means we have to surrender. And that's not a word that many of us probably like to hear, surrender, because that means giving something up. But to be led means to let someone else lead you. It means to give up part of what's there. It's being giving part of this old way of living. That we need to surrender to God, that there's an initial surrender to Him as we come to Him, that there's an invitation by Him into life, and we make an initial step of surrender to Him. But that there's also this ongoing surrender throughout our life. That there's a, a weekly, minutely, hourly kind of surrender that happens. So you say, your will, God, and not mine alone. Where we ask God for help in even the smallest parts of our day where we say, God, you take the lead on this. I'm submitting to you. This empowered will that lets us walk with the Spirit, it, it starts vertical. It starts up to God and down from God. God's power comes to us and us being made right with God, asking for that. And allows us to live in the Spirit so the first part of it is this idea of surrender that we have to allow us to have an empowered will has to be a surrender to him to allow us to walk in the spirit, to be led by the spirit and to live in the spirit. And then the second and third part, I think that Paul says as he's talking to this young church is that there is a horizontal piece of this as well. He finishes this section here in verses 5, 26 through 6, 5. He says this. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Again, he's giving instructions to the church together. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But search yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. The second thing he says after we have this surrender to God is that we need to live in community with each other, that there's horizontal living with one another, that there's a communal aspect of keeping in step with the Spirit. In fact, I really like that wording, keeping in step with this ongoing way of keeping in step, being a part of looking out for him, and it happens when we're together. Again, Paul's writing this to the young church. He's telling them this is how you're to be the church together, how you're to be citizens in God's kingdom with one another. You need to keep step with each other throughout your days because your days will come and the systems will come and the things will come and you need each other to keep on going. And he makes it clear that this is not something you're supposed to try to do on your own. It was never the intention of following him alone. It was always meant to be lived out in community with others. So the first thing we need to do is to surrender up to God and then to, horizontally we live in community with each other, this horizontal movement with each other. And the third thing that we can do to keep in step with the Spirit after surrender and after being in community with each other to help us have this empowered will is that we need to ask for help from each other and help one another. Now I'm guessing that there's a few of you that are here that are like, I'm all down for the helping each other, but asking help from someone else, checking out. Um, that's scary, right? To be able to put our stuff out there and to ask for help when we need it. And some of you are really good at it. You've learned yourself well enough, but I know for so many of us, that is the part where we break down. We're like, I just need to keep it together. I just need to at least pretend that I have it together, especially at church. And the, the, the fact is the exact 
opposite of that. This is the place where we should be able to lose it a little bit, where we should be able to admit that we don't have it together, that we need help, and that when we're in a good place that we can help carry each other's burdens. In fact, Paul says it so strongly, he said, this is how we fulfill the law of Christ, is to carry each other's burdens. That really stuck out to me, that this is one of the prime ways we do it, is by helping one another. Carrying each other's burdens, asking for help, these are some of the ways we fulfill the law and that we live in this community together that keep us in step. And this, as part of this, is Sunday. As we gather today, that's a big part of what we do, right? We come together, we worship, we share stories with one another, we share with one another. But it's also more than that. Like, it's a starting place, but there needs to be more for so many of us to, to be able to walk through this, to keep in step. We need more people in our life on a consistent basis. We need part of a team in this. For some of you, this might mean stepping into a really intentional group to do that. Many of you are in connect groups. Many of you have people around you that you do this. But there's also a group here called Regroup that we do through Summit. It's a place where people really walk intentionally in their lives to be able to share with each other, to be able to ask for help, and then to be able to later help each other in a very intentional way. It's a really incredible community. They meet on Monday nights. We do it at our Herndon campus. It's one of the few things we still do together all as one church that we have enough people, enough care, enough support that's there together. And people walk with each other. They share their stories. They ask for help and they offer help with one another. And tomorrow night is actually an invitation night. Every few months they have a day to step into the community to be able to do this. And tomorrow is one of their nights. If you are even anywhere remotely where you say, I, I think I might should do something like that. I I'm feeling like I should step into a community like that. Please do it. Drive down there. I'll buy you dinner. If, if whatever it takes to get you there, take a step. Whatever, I mean, it's a little bit of a drive on a Monday, but go and try it and see it. Because if some, God is stirring in you to be in a more intentional community like that, do it. You will not be disappointed. We need others in our life to help us live this healthy spiritual life that produces fruit, not just for our sake, but for the sake of those around us. And it's an incredible promise and hope that Paul paints when he shares what this new life can look like, when he says these healthy fruit that are so good for the world around us can happen when we live together in these different ways. It's a life that's full, that produces incredible fruit that's so contrary to our normal flesh way of living, our normal life, the normal order of things, of what's mine and let me get what's mine. And it can also be a gift to the world. Uh, many of you are familiar with the 12 steps and this is kind of where we're gonna end today. And for many people, and actually I think for most that follow the 12 steps faithfully, the 12 steps of addiction, maybe you're familiar with the Alcoholics Anonymous or many of the other 12 step programs. For most people that faithfully follow the 12 steps, they are wildly successful in how they move through their life if they follow them. And I'm gonna read them to you today. It really, it struck me as I was reading through those and reading through this passage, there's something here. And if you ever wanna Google and look them up, they're there. But listen to these 12 steps. The first one is this, we admitted we were powerless and you can insert your addiction here. I'm powerless over dependence on others. I'm powerless over my sin. I'm powerless over alcohol. I'm powerless over anger. I'm powerless over exercise. I'm powerless over food. That our lives have become unmanageable. I came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So I made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, admitted to God, to our others and ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, 
praying only for his knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others to practice these principles in all of our affairs. So why did I read the 12 steps? Why are we talking about this at the end of a sermon on healthy versus unhealthy fruit in our life? I think that most, if not all of these steps are outlined in this passage. And I think Paul is giving us these steps because he knows, he knows we have an addiction to ourselves. We have an addiction to our own way of living, our own way of doing it, our natural order of things. And we can only produce that on our own. But he knows we need to be freed to live a new life in the spirit, a new life that produces a new fruit that is so good for us and those around us. And to do that means that we need to recognize that we have a problem, that we're unhealthy, that we need to surrender to God, that we need to invite others into our lives and ask God to continually work on us and continue the process throughout our lives and to share then the good news with others as we move from our own willpower to lives that have an empowered will from mere flesh and this old way of life to truly living a spirit-filled life that produces good fruit. So my hope, my hope is that we can surrender to God, that we can invite others into our lives, that we can ask for help and carry each other's burdens uh, for the sake of experiencing this new life that the Spirit of God promises, the living Spirit of God, and through that, that we can offer that to those that are around us. Let's pray. God, you are a good God that cares a lot about us, Lord, and you know our natural way of living and you know what our lives produce on our own, that we look out for ourselves, that they produce unhealthy ways of living that affect those around us. God, that our old ways of living can only produce selfishness, that they can only produce discord and jealousy and envy. They can only look out for what is good for us. Yet you have promised us new life and a new life of health and a new life that is lived in a spirit, a spirit that wants us to be so good to those around us, that wants us to be so good for the sake of those around us, that wants us to produce good fruit that changes our life, changes our kids' lives and our neighbors' lives and the world around us, Lord, that you desire so much for us and you promise that it can happen. And you let us know that it can only happen through you, through the living spirit of God that is alive in us. Lord, help us to be measured in our looking at ourselves, to be able to see the areas where we still need to move towards health. And if we're still trying to do it on our own, God, I pray that you would give us an opportunity to surrender to you, Lord, and that we would continue to invite others into our lives to help us live this out, Lord. And that over the days and years to come, we would continue to see the impact of what it looks like to live new lives with you together for the sake of our community, for the sake of our families, for the sake of every person around us, Lord, that they would have a chance to know you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.